It's Tuesday, May 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. And if you've been listening for a long time, you know that at least a couple of times a year, I, I remind you, the dozens of listeners, that uh, you know the people who come on this show, uh, it's not their job to come on this show. They have other jobs at The Motley Fool. They're busy. And, and they're helping me out by coming on this show. And every once in a while, like today, for example, someone says, yeah, I'll come on Market Foolery. And then, I don't know, an hour before we're about to record, the person says, hey, you know what? I, got, I have a, a work emergency and I, I can't do the show. And I, I said, that's, you know, that's fine. You know why? Because it's not your job to come on this show. And so you know, in situations like that, I turn to the, the Cal Ripken Jr. of Market Foolery, Jason Moser. Second day in a row. Thanks, for, thanks for pinch hitting. <laughs> Man, those that that wow that that I I don't think I can live up to that expectation. But I'm going to try my darndest. So we're going to talk about some earnings in the news. But before we do that, let's uh, let's talk about the sell off that is happening in the market because now it's getting now it's getting to the point where I think back to what was it eight days ago where it was the first trading day of May and one of the things you and I talked about was the whole sell in May and go away and ah oh, what, what a bunch of garbage that <laughs> yeah. is and you know I don't know about you but I look at uh, certainly the Nasdaq part of my portfolio and I think to myself maybe I should have just sold in May maybe I <laughs> maybe I should have this is you know this is one of those times when the market timers. Are 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 having a laugh at the expense of longtime buy and hold investors like you and me. Yeah, and you know what? I, I've I, you and I, we've been investing long enough. We know we're going to go ahead and let those timers have their moment in the sun because uh, it, it's not going to last forever, right? Nothing, nothing really does, but uh, but certainly we 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 have plenty of track records across our foolish universe that demonstrate the uh, efficacy of of long-term investing right buying to hold for very long periods of time it, it's not just a it's not just one of those lazy bromides that we espouse uh, every every show it really does work and that's why we that's why we just reiterate it because uh, it it matters um but to your point there in regard to the nasdaq you know, i was putting some thoughts together this morning for uh, one of my services here at work, and it, it, it was all you know centered around what's been going on in the market lately. And, and, and in regard specifically to the Nasdaq, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, if you look at the way the Nasdaq has performed over the last several years versus what's been going on recently, it starts to become a little bit more clear, at least how exposure to the NASDAQ could be impacting your portfolio. If you look at the last five years, you look at the returns over the last five years, the NASDAQ has close to doubled the S&P. I mean, you're looking at around 98% return uh, for the S&P uh, versus uh, 176% or so for the NASDAQ. That's just, that's actually not even total return. So we, we could uh, even, even expect those numbers to go up. But the, the point is that over the last five years, the NASDAQ has really outperformed the S&P um, considerably. Now, if you zoom in, actually, and look a little bit closer there at, say, the last three months, uh, the NASDAQ up five, uh, I'm sorry, the, the S&P up uh, just close to 6%, and the NASDAQ down uh, close to 5%. So we've, so, we've seen a lot of selling on on uh, you know NASDAQ-held stocks. And, and that, 
is is obviously i mean the nasdaq is a very tech heavy uh index and and so that does make sense and we're living in the day and age of 40 times sales being kind of like the new normal um but we've also been kind of beating our heads against that brick wall it seems for a long time that this 40 times sales cannot be the new normal at some point this has to has to uh you know fix itself and and maybe that is to a certain degree um it, i i think though for us as investors, I mean, it, it, you just have to remember that while it never feels good watching our stocks go down, it's it's the price of admission. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And you have to accept that. If you can't accept that, if you can't deal with it, then you should be investing in something a little bit more uh, in line with your risk tolerance, like an, like an ETF or something. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be investing. It just means you should be investing in vehicles that that reduce some of that volatility, give you a little bit more diversification, and, and can let you just sleep better at night. No question. It, it has been a, a tough little stretch for a lot of, of, of uh, names in our universe that we like a lot. Um, it, it, and that happens in the face of uh, what seems like some pretty strong business performance uh, on on top of it all. So, a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, of a disparity there, a little bit of a discrepancy there. But um, it is what it is, as they say. And, and this is a great example of why we invest the way that we do. Well, and you know, something we've talked about before is, uh, and again, it's hard to do. Like it's hard for me to do. Um, and I've been doing this for a long time. So I imagine people yeah. who just started investing in the last five years or so, it's hard for them to do as well, which is to look at a stock in your portfolio that's been cut in half in a short amount of time, as several of mine have, and essentially divorce yourself from that and say, okay, wait a minute, what about the business? What like is the business in trouble here? And it's not to say that every stock out there that stock, you know, you know, that's that's had their price cut, that they're fine, because some of them are struggling for legitimate reasons. Some of them are um, just not going to make it in the long run. But it is a um, it is a difficult yet worthwhile exercise when you're looking at a stock that's down and you're thinking to yourself, all right, is it should I just cut bait on this one? Should I just let it loose? And it's like, all right, you know, do the work and go through and say, well, wait a minute, how is the business doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a great point there. The stock price isn't the business. I mean, the stock price is just one minuscule little point in time, um, and, and it's not the business. And now, now, certainly over time, you'll see if a company is performing well, uh, that company grows. The market, the market recognizes that, and that's that's why we we tend to focus on those long those longer time time stretches. But but you are right; it's not easy to do. Um, it does get easier, I think, the long longer that you do it. Uh, at least that's been my experience. I've been, I've been investing for a, a long time. And to me, it feels like it gets easier the more you go through it. And, and it's kind of like that lesson. David Gardner is always uh, loved, loved to, to say, add to your winners, right? And you know, I, it, when, I, when I first got to the pool over, over 10 years ago, I mean, I wasn't really familiar with that concept. I always felt like you had to be buying something on sale. Um, and, and that was just really kind of my own ignorance, honestly. It was one of the more valuable lessons I've learned from David is being able to add to those winners that companies that continue those companies that continue to succeed and do well. Um, and, and 
that I think gets easier the more that you do it. And I think coping with times like these get easier the more that you go through them. I, I look back, always look back to uh, the, the, the Great Recession. You look back to uh, these, these these moments in time where the market is, is, has suffered some serious drops. And going through those are just, they're great lessons. I mean, you learn a little bit about the mechanics of the market and things that are going on, but you also learn a lot about yourself and, and what you can stomach. And, and the thing is, loss of virtue is a real thing, right? I mean, we talk about it some, I guess, but but ultimately, you look back, Daniel Kahneman and his associate Amos Tversky came up with this term decades ago, and it, it basically helps explain this phenomenon that, that for most of us, our response to losses is stronger than our response to corresponding gains. I mean, that's not just something we say, it is a real thing. And, and some studies suggest that, that those losses are twice as powerful. So if you are feeling like your stomach is in knots uh, right now over what's going on in the market, well, hey, congratulations. That means you're human, you're normal. And most all of us are feeling that way to some extent uh, because loss aversion is a real thing. Uh, but, but I do believe it, that, that the more that you go through times like these, the easier that they get, and they make you a better investor because they, they teach you about the things to focus on. And, and honestly, I think it also gives you the confidence to continue investing even in the downtimes, because as, as you know, you, the idea is to really be buying <laughs> when everybody is selling, assuming that the business is doing very well. But unfortunately, uh, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction for many is that when the you-know-what hits the fan, they want to head for the exits. That's really the opposite of what you need to be doing. And, and you're fighting just centuries and centuries of ingrained human behavior along the way. <laughs> uh, one last thing before we get to Roblox and their earnings. Um, the money managers who are out in force in the financial media, uh, take what they say with a pound of salt. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, was, I was thinking about this this morning when uh, uh, Stanley Druckenmiller was, was on CNBC and you know, talking, about, you know, talking, talking about the Fed and, and being pretty bearish and just uh, I'm, I'm, you know, talking about how he's pulling his money out of the market and all this sort of thing. And I thought, wait a minute, where have I heard this before? And it was... <laughs> It was either the spring of 2018 or 2019, where basically this same thing, like there was, there was a pretty big dip in the market in a short amount of time, and it was Druckenmiller and you know David Tepper who owns the Carolina Panthers, and they were coming out and and uh, and it's like yeah you're you're managing mountains of money. Forgive me if I'm going to take what you know what you're saying on TV and the advice you're giving. Uh, forgive me if I think you're actually saying one thing and doing another with your money. You know, or, you know, because again, it's, it's the whole know which game you're playing and people like Tepper and Druckenmiller are playing a day-to-day -day game in terms of their money management. They are making investments, they are buying and selling every day and uh, people like us are not. Yeah, I, I think that's that's such a great point, and something that's always important to remember is we're, we're we like we're just playing a different game, and, and and that's 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 by design. Let's get to some earnings. Roblox went public in March via direct listing. This is the gaming app for kids that is hugely popular. First quarter revenue. 140% higher than a year ago. And sure, they lost $134 million, but this is a growth company. And at this point, we care more about the revenue and the daily active user growth than we do about things like profits. 
Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're we're gonna have to forgive them in regard to the financials, just because this company is literally just getting started as as a publicly traded entity. But um, to me, this is a really neat business to follow and learn about. It's one that. I was excited to see go public because I really I, I wanted to bring it into our augmented reality beyond universe at least as a company to to keep on our radar. Um, it's it, it's not something I've, I've formally recommended by any means, but it is something that I'm learning more about and studying uh, because it seems like it has so much potential and it's tackling such a massive market opportunity. Uh, have you, if if you've read the book Ready Player One or if you've seen the movie, um, and I've not seen the movie but I've read the book. Um, I think this business starts to make a little bit more sense for folks who haven't been able to fully grasp the concept of the metaverse. Uh, it, it, it may seem a little bit more pie in the sky, but I think for folks who actually see that as, as uh, something with potential Roblox, it looks like a very compelling business from a number of angles. But um, it, it, like you said, yes, I mean, it, it, it is ultimately this, this concept of a virtual universe, a place where pretty much anything can happen. Um, and, and the Roblox platform itself comprises three core elements, which help bring this universe to life. Uh, they have the Roblox, Roblox client, which allows users to explore all of these different 3D digital worlds. They have the Roblox studio, which are the tools that allow developers and creators to build uh, these experiences. And then the Roblox cloud, which is the infrastructure that powers uh, what they like to call this human co-experience platform. Uh, the numbers were very impressive. I mean, revenue grew 140% from a year ago, $387 million. Bookings were up 161%. Average daily active users, 42.1 million. That was up 79% from a year ago. And while we talk about this being a platform for kids, uh, which I mean, it is very attractive for for uh, kids. It, it is a it is a really popular platform with, with folks a little bit on the older side too. I mean that 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 increase the the daily active users. I mean that was driven by 111 percent growth in daily active users over the age of 13. So uh, that all resulted in hours engaged of 9.7 billion, which was up 98 percent over a year ago, um, and so. I mean, understanding what's been going on over the last year, folks have had a little bit more free time. We've had a lot of homeschooling, a lot of virtual schooling, and that's uh, given probably, I'm sure, the temptation to uh, switch over from the classroom to, to the Roblox metaverse, <laughs> perhaps. But I, I think that regardless, I mean, what you've got is this, this really sticky universe uh, that is just full of all sorts of creative ideas um, and, and clearly something that's very attractive to a very wide and global uh, demographic. And you look at the stock, I mean, it's basically where it was on the first day of trading in March. So it's not like, I'm not saying this is a cheap stock, but just in terms of, uh, this is not a situation like we've seen with a lot of other businesses that have run up over the past year and are now 30 and 40% off their highs. Yeah. And I mean, this, this is one of those companies that's kind of like, all right, well, you're in this 40 times, 40 times sales range uh, with, with Roblox and, 
I mean, I understand the enthusiasm. I think valuation with a business like this typically is going to be one of the bigger risks just because it's so new and, and still not profitable. Uh, something to keep an eye on, I think, with a company like this, developer exchange fees. Uh, that, that represents the amount uh, earned by developers and creators on the platform, and they are integral to this to this story. Uh, those, those developer exchange fees grew 167% for the quarter. They represented 31% of total revenue versus 28% a year ago. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that relationship, that balance with their creators, because they really do depend on those creators to keep this universe growing, to keep it fresh, uh, and, and to keep people coming back more and more. Um, and, and another neat thing about the business that I think holds a lot of potential is they, they you know, this world of virtual currency and cryptocurrency, Roblox has its own, own currency, uh, Robux, which uh, I think is another tool that can really help uh, stoke engagement and, and create some switching costs, some stickiness there uh, that, that we'll, we'll, be, we'll be keeping an eye on those types of metrics to really see what kind of staying power this, this platform has. Because I think that's really one of my biggest questions is, does it have the staying power? Because it, it feels like Fortnite was the headline for so long, and now Fortnite doesn't seem like it's really getting the same play as it once did. Um, I, I don't know what that means for the future of Roblox. I think that's something we're going to want to keep an eye on, though. Well, for folks who are having trouble getting their heads around uh, a gaming concept like Roblox, <laughs> we'll wrap up by talking about golf, specifically Callaway <laughs> Golf. Uh, shares are up this morning, close to an all-time high, actually, after a strong first quarter. They're in the business of golf equipment and apparel their profits were much higher than expected. They had strong revenue. And they're talking about, they're using the word unprecedented with respect to the demand that they are seeing right now. That's that's a good number that you, you know, that's a good word you want to hear. <laughs> that's the word you want to hear. Exactly. Um, and golf is so tricky. I mean, going back to Kahneman's loss aversion, I mean, when you feel those losses, listen, I mean, you go through a round of golf, you hit more bad shots than good ones, Chris, a lot more bad ones than good ones. And you feel those bad ones even more. So I understand why a lot, a lot of people just bag the game and, and don't ever come back. It's, it's hard for sure. Um, and, and as someone I've, you know, I've played golf all my life. Um, and, and I, I work in the business for for a stretch as well uh it, to me i've always been of the mind that really golf is a tough investment and, it, and i was never really all that attracted to it and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that i was working in it for so long um i will say callaway is making me rethink this a little bit and a lot of it has to do with their recent acquisition of top golf uh top golf if you if you know that's that that's the driving range right it's it's a driving range uh slash entertainment facility where you can go with your friends to hit golf balls watch sports drink beer have food all that great stuff um that's something that I think opens up the the business to to bring more players into the game. Who, folks who may not necessarily be interested in going out playing nine or eighteen holes, but they like hitting golf balls, right? It takes it it it, ta it makes it more fun, and I think that's that's the toughest nut to crack when it comes to golf is figuring out ways to make it more fun to bring the wider audience. And because it is a difficult game to learn and, and to play, um, but but Callaway clearly doing very well, uh, grew revenue forty seven percent from a year ago. They got a nice little boost from top golf, but that really uh, wasn't the, the crux of the quarter. I mean, it was growth in golf equipment of 29%. Their soft goods segment saw growth of 20%. And, and that all resulted in their operating income basically doubling 
with margins up better than four percentage points or 430 bips, if you will, uh, to put some context into Top Golf. While that was just a just a tiny little portion of of revenue this quarter because of the timing of the acquisition. Uh, Topgolf's full quarter revenue was $236 million. So that gives you an idea of the potential of that business alone. Um, and then to your reference of that word unprecedented, uh, that is is showing itself in the form of, of very low inventory levels. Inventory is down 19%. Supply remains very tight. So they're they're dealing with a little bit of a supply chain issue as well. That ultimately is probably a good thing for them, though, because it gives them the opportunity to maintain a little pricing, which traditionally in golf has been a very difficult thing to do. And you think back to, it was about this time five years ago that Nike came out and said, we are getting out of the golf business. Yeah. And Callaway was one of those businesses that some people looked at and just sort of thought for a moment, like, wait a minute, for all the success that Nike has had, Nike is coming out and saying, we don't want to be in this business anymore. <laughs> and it, I think it was legitimate at the time to look at Callaway and just say, okay, so no knock on you guys, but, but is this an industry that we should be investing in at all? And over the last five years, this stock has tripled. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the reason, I think Nike made a good decision getting out because honestly, like golf, golf equipment is really difficult and they, they were working against two really difficult, uh, hurdles, two incumbents there in Titleist and Callaway, uh, Titleist and Callaway two two of really the top, top known names in golf, uh, when it comes to equipment, golf balls, drivers, irons, putters, you name it. I mean, these, these are the Titleist and Callaway that are the names that you find in most players bags. Um, I, I will say as, as a, uh, as the owner of the, the Callaway rogue pro irons, big fan. I got those, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, so a year, year and a half ago or so. And, and have really, really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed them. Um, I, I think when you're, when you're going up against two incumbents like that, it's really difficult to gain share, even when you have Tiger Woods on your side. Um, because golf for the most part, I mean, you're not Nike was, was, I think they were, they were becoming more identified with high performance equipment, which is fine. Uh, and, and that was, probably due to the nature of the relationship with Tiger Woods, but, but really most people aren't looking for that high performance. They're looking for player friendly stuff in, in Titleist and Callaway just historically have done so well uh, ping the other name in the space that has done really well over time uh, in, in that regard as well. So really I, you know, I, I throw ping into the mix there as well as one of the challenges for, for Nike when it came to golf equipment. So I understand them getting out. It is it, still equipment's always been a very difficult investment for me to stomach. I just, the Margins never really seem to to uh, make a lot make a, make a very good case for it. But again, this this acquisition of Top Golf to me that is the differentiator for Callaway. I think at this point, I, I I'm actually very optimistic about that. And, and frankly, it's got Callaway right at the top of my radar. Something I'd actually consider now. Jason Moser, always great talking to you. Thanks for tagging in today. Hey, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.